Two people fired up, three being me. Four being the Holy Spirit. Five being the Father, six being the Son. Anytime you're, I don't care if you're in your car by yourself, there's a party of four, amen? It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'll tell you two things that blew my mind. Uh, first of all, before I, I ran out uh, to get water, and Dave may have mentioned this, choir practice is after service. So uh, sometimes if you're not able to come on Sunday nights for the next two weeks, choir practice is right after service tonight. And uh, if you'd like to jump in the choir, then, then tonight is the night to do that. Uh, Bella and I, we have watched the Bible series together. And uh, two things that just really blew my mind that she said. One, she said, Daddy, when Jesus died on the cross, God died too. She said, I said, really, why is that? She says, because Jesus is God. And wow, that blew my mind. And then, and then this past week, she says, Daddy, when we go to heaven, we go in Jesus. Because Jesus is heaven. I was like, oh my gosh. You remember that middle piece of the matzah? That was broken. If y'all were here for Passover service, the middle piece of the matzah was broken so that we could be grafted in. We are grafted in to Jesus so that we can go to heaven. Anyway, that blew my mind. Hey, this coming up Sunday night, we're starting two classes. We're starting one uh, called Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey, which will be in the sanctuary. And the second option is going to be in the fellowship hall, which is Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Now here's, I would say, the vision of my heart. My heart vision would be if you're a leader in the church, and that would be on the deacon ministry, uh, finance team, uh, personnel team, any of the leadership teams, uh, building grounds, whatever. If you're on any of the leadership, I would love for you to go to Experiencing God. To hear Henry Blackerby talk about living by faith as we see in the Bible. I would love for you to attend that study. And for the financial study, we're looking for any young family, old family, any person that's maybe nearing retirement age, in retirement age, that has questions about money. And Dave Ramsey, he doesn't just talk about vague concepts. He talks about actual application. So starting this Sunday... You'll either come here for Financial Peace University in the sanctuary, or you'll go in the fellowship hall for experiencing God. And there are going to be two extremely blessed times together. Go ahead, take your word of God tonight. Turn to Romans chapter 2. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1. I fast forwarded too fast. Romans chapter 1, stand as you're turning there. We're going to start our reading in verse 24. Romans chapter 1 verse 24. Word of God says this. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. To dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated in the house of God tonight. If this is your first time on a Wednesday night, you're like, why in the world is the preacher preaching from Romans chapter 1, verse 24? Let me fill you in. Since January, we started verse by verse in the book of Romans. And yes, it's April, and we're just now in verse 24, but that's where the Word of God has us. And it's amazing how when you preach through Scripture, verse by verse, it aligns right up what's going on. And we're going to see how this is going on with, with culture and everything politically right now as we speak. I want to start in Romans one twenty four, and as you look at your scriptures, it starts out by saying, therefore. Now, <clears throat> I heard a Bible professor one time, he said this, he says, when you see a therefore, look to see what it's there for. That's a little hermeneutic humor right there. If there is a therefore, it means that preceding, there's an argument leading up to the therefore. So part of looking at this passage is also looking in the background of the verses which we read two weeks ago. And let's look at 22 and 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. Now, What we're going to see three times in this passage tonight is the phrase, God gave them up. Matter of fact, that's the title of my sermon tonight. God gave them up. First, I want you to focus on that and and meditate on it. When it says, these people who were doing evil things, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. Therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up to the uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. You see, when it says that God gave them up, Scripture is not implying that God gave up on them. Let's make a distinction. God didn't give up on them like He had tried for a long time and then gave up. No, it says He gave them up. It doesn't imply that God had no choice in working upon their hearts with His Holy Spirit. When it says God gave them up, it's not... Man, I I need to cut back on the chest presses now. Button's busting open up here. It doesn't imply that God had no choice in working upon their hearts, that he, He tried so long, He tried converting them, and finally He said, you know what? I give up. It doesn't imply that He had no choice. And thirdly, it doesn't imply that God was incapable of bringing these people to a knowledge of salvation. What this implies when it says God gave them up, it means that God gave them what they wanted. God gave them fully what they wanted. You want your own pleasure? I'm going to give it to you. And when you see it run its due course, you'll see why I tried to restrain you for so long. God gave them up to their pleasure. Basically, God allowed sin to run its full course. 
Now, here's what I want you to do. I posted on Facebook that I wanted you to bring your highlighters and hopefully a pen. I want in verse 24 you to circle hearts. Verse 24, circle hearts. Because these three times God says he gave them up. We're going to see the three different ways that he gave them up. The first was he gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. They lusted after impurity. What we're going to see is we're going to see that God gave them up in their hearts. God gave them up in their passions. God gave them up in their mind. I'm reminded of Luke 10, 27, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. We find in this passage that three of those are mentioned. Being the heart, being the passion, which is your strength that's going to refer to bodily desires. And thirdly, the mind. See, there's something not mentioned here that's mentioned in Luke 10, 27, which is their soul. Do you know why? In, in, in what we read here, the soul is not mentioned. Because for the unconverted person, their soul is already the fully wretched condition. Their soul is already fully wretched. Alright, so what we're going to see here, first of all, is that God gave them up in their hearts. This is important for us to extant, understand tonight that all of us, in our nature, desire sin. When it says that God gave them up, it means they were desiring sin all along and finally he just let them have it. The extent to which we desire sin is determined by the extent to which God restrains us from running the full course of our desire. Now get this, the difference between you and Charles Manson is that Charles Manson ran the full full course of sin. The difference between you is that By God's grace, you were restrained by God from running the full course of sin. You see, the sinful act, when we desire sin, it originates in us. The sinful desire originates in the root of our being that we desire sin, that humans desire sin. And what happened with the scripture this is describing, and God let them fully desire it and fully have it. See, it's one thing for us to desire sin. It's another thing for God to come along, come along in our life. And he lets go. He gives them up to run that full course of desire. And here it says, for people that don't acknowledge God, God lets loose of that restraint. God lets loose of that restraint so they run the full course of sin. And we're going to see how this plays out for them. Ultimately, those who spend eternity in the lake of fire will spend eternity uh, separated from God because that is what they have desired. Some people say, well, God's so loving, how can he send anyone to hell? Let me tell you, anyone that goes to hell will go there because they desired to be apart from God. The difference is, do you desire God or do you desire sin? For those that desire sin, they will reap the effects of their sin for eternity. And for those that desire God, you will reap the benefits of desiring God for eternity. Now here's the deal. Every one of us deserved hell. Because every one of us did desire sin. Before we desired God. Every one of us desired sin. The reality of the sinful nature of every human being. Should not push us away from evangelism. Matter of fact, it should push us to evangelism. 
We see that people are, are fully sinful in their hearts. They're fully sinful in their minds. And some people, sometimes we think, man, people are so sinful. Can I even do anything to them? Can I even help the guy down the street that, that's got a, a cocaine addiction or a heroin addiction? Or, or can I even help the, uh, you know, the guy that's sleeping around with all these women? Here's the good news. It's not the extent of the sin that we need to worry about. It shouldn't push us away from evangelism when we see sinfulness. It should push us towards evangelism to know that the only hope that person has is the power of the gospel. When we, when we see sinfulness in our society, we shouldn't sit back and say, Oh my, look at how sinful society is. Oh my. We should not be surprised that society is sinful. It's been sinful since they were first cast out of the garden. The first two sons that were ever born, one of them killed each other. It's been depraved since the beginning. It will be depraved till Jesus comes. Don't be surprised at depravity. Don't sit back in shock. Let us be moved to action because of the depravity. It should push us towards evangelism. Because without the life-changing power of the gospel, those individuals would die in their sins and perish for eternity. John Wesley always said this. He says, I desire to live with heaven and hell in my eye. Now, you might not agree with everything John Wesley said. But I think he had a motivational point. Because let me tell you something. John Wesley would get up at 3 a.m. on Sunday mornings spend three or four hours going over his sermon, preach in one area, walk 10 miles across town, walk 10 miles across town to preach at another church, and on his way back be sharing the gospel the whole way. We can look at people in Christian history and says what motivated them, it was heaven and hell. The reality of those two things. So, the goal of the Christian is to show Sinful people, the reality of eternal judgment that awaits them. So that their consciences will be awakened to the wrath that they are storing up for the day of judgment. So first it said God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. And hopefully you circled hearts. Now let's look at verse 26. Now it said, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Go ahead and circle passions. I want you to understand that the root of passions comes from a desire of the flesh. So first, God gave them up to the desire of their heart. Secondly, God gave them up to the desire of the flesh. That they desired what was contrary to God, so God let them run the full course of that sin. Now, this message tonight is not a message about homosexuality or lesbianism or gays. But what it is about is that when people desire what is contrary to God, the full course of sin will run. And this is what it said. He, he says they did not desire God. So guess what? God released his restraint of their sinful nature. And it says they exchanged the, the natural use of a woman by woman being inflamed with lust for another. Women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error which was due. You see, the scripture says that God gave them up to dishonorable passion. Vile passion. Well, if there is dishonorable passion, the opposite of that means there is honorable passion. 
What is honorable passion? Honorable passion is the desire of the flesh that's supposed to exist in the marriage bed, which is an honorable passion. That's honorable passion. That a husband, it never says, husband, you shall not burn with lust for your wife. I've never found that in scripture. That's an honorable passion. That husbands and wives desire one another. And let me say the the filth word of church, desire one another sexually. If the church talked about God honoring sex like we should, maybe the society wouldn't have the sexual problems that they're having. There is a God honoring desire and it comes from God. Not to be put on video, not to be put in magazines, not so I can walk in the mall past the Victoria's Secrets with my daughter and there's a lady barely wearing anything and the daddy, uh, daddy, why is the lady wearing her underwear in the mall on a picture? That is not a God-honoring passion. You know who that's for? That's not for the women. Let me tell you that. That's not so women can look by and say, hmm, that's attractive. That's so the men can look by and say, wow-wee. Maybe if I buy something for my wife, she'll look like that. And then because these models have starved themselves for six months, they buy something and like, well, honey, you didn't look like the picture. Let me go try another outfit. It's just a money-making scheme. You see, God released them to vile passion. Honorable passion is something guided by God. Dishonorable passion is something not guided by God. The root of this passage is this. If we desire God, our desires will be godly. The opposite is also true. If we desire sin, then whatever we do will not glorify God. Now here's the key. It doesn't matter how much something does not glorify God. Watch this. There is no measure of not glorifying God in the negative. Okay? What do you mean? Uh, Murder does not glorify God. And stealing does not glorify God. Here's the difference. It's not which one is bigger. It's that both and, and neither glorify God. That's why there's no degrees of sin. It's not showing you who's worse. It's showing you whether it's little or whether it's big. They don't desire God. That's why the fall in the garden, though it seems so small, is actually so huge. Because it's not about an apple. It's not about a tree. It's about he didn't desire God. He desired something other than what honored God. It's about desire. Sin happens because of a desire. If you tell a lie, it shows that you don't desire God. And if you're a homosexual, it shows that you don't desire God. And if you commit murder, it shows that you don't desire God. The degree does not matter because all sin shows the same thing. That a lack of godly desire exists. As we mentioned this past Sunday, Christianity is not desiring perfection. Uh, uh, Kenneth, this is the the great explanation of, you know, non-religious, Right? Christianity is not about desiring a perfection. It's not about desiring something I can do. It's about desiring God. If I desire God, then my imperfections are not going to bother me today. Because guess what? I don't desire my glory for myself. I desire Him. And when I desire Him, it will lead me on a path that honors Him. 
Now, I know that we as Baptists, Protestants, Evangelicals, whatever you want to call it, Republicans, like to get on a soapbox and talk about the immorality of the homosexuals. But listen, the homosexual is no more immoral than you were before you were a Christian. Let's get something straight. Homosexuality is a passion outside of marriage. It is a sexual activity outside of marriage. So, homosexuality is just as much an abomination to God as adultery. Adultery is sex outside of marriage. Fornication is sex outside of marriage. So, all those are dishonoring to God. And we like to tote our, our gavel about homosexuals. They're just, our society is going to hell in a handbasket because of homosexuality. That's not the point. The point is, whether it's a homosexual or a fornicator, neither desire God. Because it's sex outside of what God intended, which was man and woman. And get this, not just man and woman. Because man and woman could go shack up tonight in a hotel room. It's not marriage. Right? Marriage is about man and woman being in an unconditional covenant that comes from agape love that comes from God. And the real reality is that most of this nation has no idea what marriage is anyway. I don't think we need to worry about 3% of the population that's homosexuals. We need to be worried about 51% of the population that's breaking the covenant of marriage to begin with. But, but let's be clear. There is no discrepancy about homosexuality being wrong according to the New Testament or according to the Bible. I see so many friends that grow up and then they go off to college and they think some professor tells them, well, you know, that was right 2,000 years ago in a different culture. Well, it also said kill. Do, do not kill in a different culture. Can we go around shooting people now because the Bible's 2,000 years old? Did that one get done away with too? No. The command of, uh, against adultery, against homosexuality is repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. So here's what you can look in Romans chapter 1 right now. And it says, The men left the natural use of a woman and burned in their lust for one another, committing what is shameful. So we're not debating on, on whether homosexuality has become culturally right now or morally acceptable. No. It hasn't, based on Scripture. It's not just an Old Testament mentality. It's mentioned over and over and over. And basically, the sin of homosexuality is the same sin of the organizations which approve of them. Because as it says in verse 32, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, but not only those who do the same, but those who approve of those who practice them. We've got organizations such as Presbyterian Church of USA, Lutheran Church of USA, that have gay preachers, gay priests, lesbian pastors. Now here's the seriousness of what... It's not just about that it's crept into society, folks. It's about it's crept into the so-called church, little c. That's what we're fighting against. But look at 28. And even as they did not like to retain in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, circle mind. So here's what we saw first. God gave them over to the desires of their heart. God gave them over to the desires of their flesh. And now God has given them over to the desires of their mind. To do those things which are not fitting. 
Being filled with all unrighteousness, and at least one of the longest explanations in the New Testament of what unrighteousness looks like, it says everything from sexual immorality to those who disobey their parents. I want you to understand something, that a disobedient child is on the same level as a homosexual in Scripture. I saw someone post today, they said, what America needs is not gun control, but child control. (laughs) Maybe if there was some child control in the home, there wouldn't be a need for gun control in the streets. But I want you to see the range of unrighteousness it gives. And here's, it's not a range like this, it's like this. All of it dishonors God. And the reason is this. If you brought a highlighter, I asked you to circle those other things. Here's what I want you to highlight. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. That's the sum of this whole passage. Why? Why did God give them over to the desires of their heart? Why did He give them over to the desires of their flesh? Why did He give them over to the desires of the mind? Because they would not acknowledge God. They disregarded God. Sin is not the problem. It's just the sign of a problem, which is the disregard for God. I want you to understand that see, sin is not the root, it's the leaf. The root is a disregard for God. Sin originates in the mind before the act is committed. Then the Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, if you've thought about it, you've already done it. Jesus says, do not murder. But if you've hated your brother, you've already done it. Sin originates here. Before the act is even committed. To acknowledge God means to include God in your knowledge. You know, I've been reading Proverbs Proverbs says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the point of the public school system is? I would say to equip young people with knowledge of how to live. But let's ask this. If the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, then what in the world has our government been teaching our children from kindergarten through 12th grade if they do not even have the foundation of knowledge, which is the fear of the Lord? If a kid graduates public school, 12th grade, 12 years of education, which costs a taxpayer $500,000, half a million, and they don't fear the Lord, they do not even have the first requirement for knowledge. Let me tell you where the breakdown in society occurred. It occurred in 1962 where they took prayer out of school. And at one time in America, the school system saw fit to honor God. I'm not saying that the school system and the state and the church and all that should be intermingled. But we can trace a moral decline in the country to where God was taken out of the school. And here's what I think. We can look and say, what are the results of a society that does not acknowledge God? And it gives you this list in 29 on. Sexual immorality. All kinds of unrighteousness. Because they did not retain God in their knowledge. Verse 28. God gave them over to the debased mind. The depraved mind. Which resulted in all kinds of unrighteousness. Where does unrighteousness come from in society brother Luke? It comes from people who do not acknowledge God. Where did abortion come from in society? It's because some liberal sitting on Capitol Hill. Did not acknowledge God. That God's the creator of life. And maybe we should ask him whether he not wants to bring a young person into this world. And they became God in their own mind. Because if I'm my own God. I can control life. I believe the beginning of our societal breakdown. Occurred. When the government was put in charge of educating our children. And now the result we have is the product of the last 50 years of education. I'm not saying that every parent's going to be able to homeschool their kids. I had lunch with a guy today that's homeschooling his two children. I 
run into moms that are homeschooling their children. I, I, I see more and more parents teaching their own children and, and seeing that the government has caused problems and been indoctrinating the youth with ungodly knowledge. Ungodly knowledge. Because if they can do trigonometry, but they don't know the beginning of theology, it's been in vain. Now here's the good news. What I want to do is I want to contrast those three things as we close right now. I'm over time. I want to contrast those three things we've seen with the opposite of what God does for the godly. So first of all, for those that do acknowledge God, the Christian, he gives them up. I want you to know as a Christian, he gives you up to desire pure things. Where the ungodly is given up to desire unpure things, he gives you up as a Christian to desiring pure things. That means by his sovereignty, by his holy hand, when he puts a spiritual desire in you, the fruit of that spiritual desire is to desire good things. I want you to know that the effectual grace of God is working in you and it's producing a desire of good things. And here's the good news, that the spiritual growth in you is not happening because like you're a smart person or you're, you've memorized some vacation Bible school scriptures. It's because God is giving you up to purity. Secondly, for those that do acknowledge God, he gives them up to honorable passions. Uh, sometimes in the church we think that passion is ungodly, but let me tell you something, passion is good. That's why the, Paul tells them in the New Testament, listen, if you can't control your lust, get married. Praise the Lord. Marriage is grace to keep us from adultery. Because the marriage bed is undefiled. That's an honorable passion. That there is honorable passions that will come in your life. Let me tell you an honorable passion. Food. I love me some sushi. And guess what? I'm going to try to take those honorable passions and glorify God with it. Today I had an honorable passion for Mexican. And I got water instead of sweet tea to cut down on my calories. But I said, thank you Lord for the Mexicans who brought this enchilada to our country. It's an honorable passion. And lastly, for those that do acknowledge God, instead of giving them up to a depraved mind, he gives them up to a holy mind. You see, for those that acknowledge God, then what happens is God doesn't restrain spiritual growth. He allows the Holy Spirit to do its work. And when the Holy Spirit starts working, it will lead you to a holy mind. As 1 Corinthians 2.16 tells us, we have been given the mind of Christ. Man, you know what I tell you? Bad news for the lost turns out being good news for the Christian. Even though we see the, the, the bitter marks in society of failure and the bitter marks of a disregard for God, we have a bittersweet joy because on one hand, we know that this world is lost and will always be lost till Jesus comes. But on the other hand, praise God, we're in a church on Wednesday night where you could be at the bar, you could be down at the strip joint, but you're in the house of God, desiring God. And God's grace has worked in you to desire Him. Amen. If you're a real godly Christian, you'll desire to come to choir practice right after this. <laughs> Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that we would all examine our own self to first see that we acknowledge you in all parts of our daily life with our heart, 
that we acknowledge you and desire you with our body and our passions, with our flesh, with our mind. That God, we know that through the gift of your Holy Spirit, it has worked and continue to work in us and will will bear fruit of spiritual growth. And God, I know there's many people here that may be struggling with different things in their life, even as Pastor Dave mentioned, those strongholds that some of us had. And God, this message is not to make us feel bad about our condition, but to, to encourage us that with the Holy Spirit, we've been given the power to overcome those things. And that through you, you've given us a desire to desire what is good and honorable to you. God, I help, ask your help that we would do that in all areas of our life. We ask this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Join us for choir practice.